Welcome to Design Museum Denmark's podcast about Danish design. In the following episode, you'll get an introduction to Danish design and its history. You'll get to know how the pioneers of the past still affects modern designers all around the world to this day. But first of all, let's meet our guide in this podcast, Anders. Uh, well, I work here at the museum. Um, I'm part of our communication team, um, and I'm also responsible for our tour pro- program. Um, so that's also what I'm going to be doing today, giving you a little tour of our museum. That's great, and, and thank you so much for letting me in outside the opening hours. Uh, of course, to see the museum. Yeah, of course, we have it uh, all to ourselves today. Which is great. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, but, but let's start the tour. Yeah, yeah, of course, this way. The Design Museum is uniquely located in the heart of Copenhagen's historic center, in between tourist hotspots, galleries, the harbor, and the Royal Castle. Today, the museum is the key place to experience both Danish and international design. But what can you expect when entering the museum? The right person to answer this question is, of course, the museum director, Anne Louise Sommer. When the visitor um, enters the design museum, I hope that they will have an experience where they understand that many of the objects on exhibit, especially from our historical collection, there are very few of them in the world. So it's really uh, it's a world-class collection. One of the most popular features for our visitors is our chair tunnel, where we feature 110 design chair classics primarily Danish, but also international. But uh, when you come to the museum, it's not just a matter of seeing chairs, which of course is important for Danish design, but you can see ceramics, you can see glass, industrial design, you can see uh, textile, you can see fashion, you can see everything you expect from the very broad design field. I also uh, hope that you can get to know our historic buildings We are situated in unique buildings from mid-18th century. Of course, they are old. They are classified in the highest degree. They are not at all modern, but they have a certain ambience and uh, they have their own beauty and they have their own ways of telling that this was a starting point for the Danish tradition in design. A starting point of the tradition of Danish design? Yes. Let's make a time travel back in time. To an age where design museums started popping up around the world. Design Museum Denmark was founded in 1890, at a time where the Industrial Revolution radically changed the way Denmark developed. New cities arose, railway tracks connected the country, and modern factories started dominating the cities. What was sort of happening in this time was that things were starting to move really quickly in terms of how new things were invented and produced and so on because we were sort of in the age of uh, in- industrialization uh, so all of a sudden objects could be produced mass produced in factories and things like that and how, how did that uh, actually affect design uh, well in, i guess you could say that it affected in two ways uh, because all of a sudden obviously things that were mass produced um, became um, accessible for a wider audience because they were cheaper Um, but it also meant that the quality of everyday objects were becoming poorer. Uh, so in this time, we also we we started seeing a lot of reactions to industrializations. Uh, designers who wanted to create 
things in higher quality. Um, and that was also part of uh, sort of the main aim of a lot of uh, this, this new genre of museum, which uh, the design museum was also part of, to give uh, the general audience and people working uh, within the industry, designers and, and, and so forth, uh, an idea about what good quality is. Mm. And what was good quality at that time? Um, well, I guess, again, because a lot more things was, were being mass produced, made by, sort of starting to be made by machine, it was, was often things that were still made by hand, you know, things that took time to make. So, at that age, it was still handmade furniture that was considered to be good design. As you'll hear more about later in this episode, the industrialization was going to change this view dramatically in the years to come. Focus on new materials developed in the industry was going to be the symbol of modern design. And the first place to see the newest designs was at the famous World Exhibitions. Fairs were the best designers from around the world met to show off their skills and designs. This type of museums that we could maybe call applied arts museums um, were actually very connected to the world exhibitions because after the exhibitions were done, uh, you still needed places to put all of these new, new things that were shown at the world exhibitions. Uh, so a lot of our original collection here at the museum was actually bought at uh, a lot of the, 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 the world's first uh, um, big uh, world exhibitions. Mm. Uh, and, and we're standing in front of this uh, great picture of, of the first world exhibition in, in England. Yeah. What is, can you tell about this? Well, this is the Crystal Palace uh, in 18, uh, from 1851. Um, and as you can see, it's a quite a big construction um, and it's made entirely out of uh, iron and glass. So again, it shows us some of the new materials that were starting to be utilized at that time, uh, new industrial materials. So all of a sudden you could build huge buildings, for instance, in a very short time. Um, so again, it sort of demonstrated what you were able to do, uh, perhaps also sort of with a national aim to show the world, look, we can all of a sudden make these grand buildings. Speaking of grand buildings, being located for some years in a minor building, the Danish Design Museum moved to one of the most beautiful old Rokoka buildings in Copenhagen. The former Royal Hospital of Friedrich, in Danish De Kongelige Frederikshospital, was from 1926 the new home of Danish design. The building was constructed by King Friedrich V in the years 1752-57. At that period, it's one out of many new buildings in a new neighborhood in Copenhagen called Frederikstaden, the city of Friedrich. Frederikstaden is a prestigious construction project starting in the middle of the 18th century, including some of the most beautiful historic buildings of Copenhagen, like the Marble Church and the Royal Castle at Magdeburg. The building is basically one big square, mm -hmm. uh, which has a big courtyard um, in the middle. Um, and the long room we're standing in um, is a long gallery uh, that used to, to be the, the hospital rooms for the patients staying at the, at the hospital. It looked a little bit uh, different back then. Um, actually, the, the dimensions of the whole 
building um, is, is, is scaled around the, the size of a hospital bed. Mm. Uh, so the idea was that there could be a bed uh, between every window uh, of the room, uh, which would make, make it easier for the, the nurses and, and doctors to, to get to the patients. And then the courtyard also played a, a central part because um, they would put or take the, the patients outside uh, so they could get fresh air, which was part of their um, yeah, getting better, I guess you can say. So this old door that we're standing in front of sometimes was opened and, and the patient was actually uh, carried outside. Carried outside, <laughs> yeah. Yes, they yeah. Were, and, they, yeah. and then there would be, I think actually there was a wall going down between uh, the garden at some point and then okay. the, the male patients would, would be on one side and the female patients on the other ah, side. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. interesting. And then you can also, if you look outside, you can see the, the big gates. They were big because they needed to get the horse carriages inside of, of the, ah. the building as well, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was obviously what they, they didn't have cars at that time, so they used horse carriages instead. The hospital was built as the first public hospital in the country. That meant that people could get free treatment and care at the hospital. But how was an old hospital transformed to a museum? Two uh, architects were um, hired to, uh, to, to do these renovations and, and transform the space into a museum. Uh, an, architect, an architect called Ivar Benson, uh, who was in charge of uh, the outside building, uh, and then uh, an architect called Cole Klint, uh, who did all of the interior. A lot of people might not know Cole Klint. I mean, you might know Arne Jacobsen or Hans Wiener and so on. You're, at least you know their furniture. Uh, but he, would, he was hugely influential in sort of the process of turning Danish design modern, I guess you can say. Klint is considered to be one of the single most influential persons in Danish design. He was born in 1888 as the son of another influential architect, Peter Wilhelm Jensen Klint. Klint was, as mentioned, responsible for the conversion of Frederiks Hospital into the Design Museum in the years from 1921 to 26. In this period, he established the Furniture School at the Royal Academy. From this time on, and until his death, he, in many ways, became the founding father of modern Danish architects. He actually loved this museum a lot, and would spend a lot of time here. He actually lived here at one point. He had his private home. Um, and there was also a school here that was very sort of based around his theories on design. Um, where, where designers or the, the students would go around, walk around the old exhibitions, look at the old furniture, measure them, draw them, things like that, much as Clint would do, and then base their modern furniture around that. So when we are talking about the school of Clint, yes. it's not only a saying, he actually had a school he had for, a, for designers and so on. a very big impact on how design was taught in Denmark, and as it's still something that the, the Danish school of design uses a lot of his methods and things like that, so it was very impactful. A unique thing about Korklint and Danish design in general in these years was the ambition to develop good furniture for the average citizen with focus on the design tradition. 
So the designers in the 30s and the 40s, they dreamt about creating good furniture for the people with a durability, it should last forever, it should be good materials, it should be light and easy to move in the in the modern home, and uh, it should be this democratic approach. There was a strong focus on uh, how design could uh, sort of upgrade the working class and uh, provide people with better homes. It was a matter of good architecture and it was a matter of uh, having uh, quite basic elements in the home like, uh, of course, electricity and bath facilities, nice uh, apartments with uh, access to light and to sun. And um, I think it was um, the idea that everyone should have the same rights, which was not just a political question, but also... Uh, regarding uh, design. Democratic design is in many ways nearly related to the social and political thoughts that emerged in these years in Denmark. The social democratic movement with equal rights for everybody and a strong welfare state started dominating. Corklint embraced this movement. Functionality and the focus on the users was of big importance in Clint's designs. He used math, measures and user service to create the perfect furniture for the average family of that time. Uh, so we would actually spend an immense amount of time going out into the real world and looking at what, how people interacted with design, what people had in their homes, what kind of needs they, they would have, um, and also look at what, if, if you would, he was designing a piece of furniture, what kind of space was he designing for. Um, he would actually also go out and sort of measure human bodies, investigate human proportions, Uh, to make sure that the furniture he was making would actually fit the user. So him and his students would spend a lot of time, you know, sort of going out, looking at how much stuff does people typically have in their private homes? How many plates do they have? How big is a standard plate or a fork? And then they would utilize all of that knowledge when they were deciding furniture to actually make sure that they work well in, in reality. Even though... Corklint was very modern in his way of working with functionality. He didn't turn his back on the past. In other countries, designers discarded the traditions in their quest to develop new modern furniture. They didn't want to look back at old style materials and designs. They wanted to make something completely new. The Bauhaus school in Germany is a good example, as they started designing furnitures from industrial materials such as steel pipes. But for Corklint, traditions and good old craftsmanship was still the most important thing. Instead of just uh, throwing uh, everything uh, away, then you also have a kind of approach where you stand on the shoulders of your predecessors, which means that you're not creating something absolutely new. You rather revisit tradition and then you take the best from tradition and you pair it with the needs and the demands of today. And then you have a starting point for a new design, which is very much in line with the heritage. And actually, we can take Cor Clint. He had a wonderful saying where he said, the chair should be of a good old family, which means that you uh, have to really revisit uh, the history and you have to learn about the previous designs. You have to measure, you have to draw, you have to internalize the idea of the previous design, and on top of that, you create your new design. So, 
when Cochrane created new furniture, he got inspired by the past. Taking, for instance, the historical furniture, adjusting it in terms of size, in terms of the scale of the human beings of the of the 1920s and 30s and 40s, um, perhaps getting rid of anything unnecessary on the old historical furniture. I mean. Uh, furniture that were old would typically have some sort of ornamentation or decoration. He would often sort of get rid of that. So he was actually sort of, it was sort of an evolution that he was introducing in, of furniture in terms of what was already out there in the world, more than the revolution that we saw in a lot of other countries that were also... Uh, so, not a revolution, but more like an evolution of how to design furniture. And it seems like Coughlin did have the upper hand in his approach of good design. When we today think of good design and design classics, most of us will think of furniture from the golden age of Danish design, a period that Clint, as we have learned, had a great impact on. But why do designers from the golden age still have a place in modern homes today? The designers from mid-20th century have managed to create something which is, at the same time, timeless and very much responsive to the actual time where it was designed. And this dimension with also being timeless means that it will last, you want almost to say, forever. Time will tell, of course, but uh, it really has uh, this kind of um, rock-solid quality and uh, a, a very appealing um, expression, which uh, still makes it uh, sought after. A lot has happened since the first design museum in Denmark opened more than 120 years ago. At that age, it was much more limited what design actually was. Today, design can be anything and for anybody, thanks to people like Coakland. In the next episode of this podcast, you'll hear a lot more about the designers of the golden age of Danish design. We'll continue our walk and talk around the museum and focus on the designers that changed the Danish reputation for good. This is a podcast from Design Museum Denmark about Danish design traditions. If you wish to hear more about Danish design, then take a look at our webpage designmuseum.dk or simply visit the museum next time you're in Copenhagen. <laughs>